Well, it's been a week for a lot of people here and getting that tent down and getting everything set up in here. And uh, I spoke to Adrian and I said, you know, if you need some help, give me a shout. He didn't say this, but maybe it's just me saying it. He thought, well, this guy's too old to help, so he never bothered phoning me. But I'd like to thank everyone that was involved in doing this. It's a big job. And we all appreciate it. And Sim sent an email this morning, which I didn't get because I left before he sent it. And uh, Adrian showed it to me. And so Sim is also wanting me to pass on his thanks to those that were involved in making all this happen. I guess all we can say is God helped. Right? But it takes people to put it together. So let's open with prayer. Father, you are very much aware of what took place this week. You are the one that provided a tent. And a tent is only temporary. And we're reminded that we are living just in tents. One day we're going to have bodies like unto Christ's own body of glory. But you've still had and provided for this place. And Father, you know how excited I've been. This is just temporary. I believe, God, that you're going to open up the doors to this community to reach souls for Christ before his return. You're going to work mightily in this community. And I pray, Father, that whatever opposition there is there, that you would get a hold of these hearts and change them. Change them with the message of your grace regardless of where they are in their lives, regardless of what they've been involved in, you would change their hearts and the neighbors around here too. Father, don't give them rest until their souls are saved. Give us the courage to carry on. We know that we're on the winning side. God, I have full confidence that you're going to work mightily. But help us to stay out of the way that we will wait on you. The timing is in your hands. In the meantime, we continue to proclaim your word for those of us that are saved, that we might be encouraged to continue in the race that's set before us, that we may finish well, and that the gospel message would continue up until the very last day when Jesus takes us to be with himself. Holy Spirit, we need you. We need you in this place. I need you. The proclamation of your word is just a mechanical thing if it isn't for the fact that you're empowering those to speak, to speak your words. I ask that it be evident that you're in this service this morning. We'll experience the presence of Christ 
as he promised, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I. May we be blessed this morning in Jesus' name. I've told some of you <clears throat> that I've been so excited this week I'm about bouncing off the walls. I think God has given me at least something, some little insight into the future. And again, I'm like you. It can be just in my mind and I'm all hepped up. But I don't think so. God's heart is for people. He's not willing that any should perish. And God is going to use everyone in this room to further what he wants to do. Be prepared. Be prepared to step up to the plate. God has something for you to be involved in in these days in which we're living. And when you hear God speak, you will know. And don't be obedient. Heed his voice and attend God's army. The message this morning on the grace of God is one that I think we little understand, or should I speak for myself that I little understand. Not so much the details and the mechanics and the information, but how it relates to my life. So this is a two-part message. Today, we're going to have a look at we have been saved by grace through faith. And that, not of ourselves, it is the gift of God. Next week, we'll have a look at what it means to live by grace. So Cor read that, those verses from John 1, and I want to just focus on this portion of it to try and keep it as brief as possible. The law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came in the person of our Lord Jesus Christ. As you begin to look at Scripture, you will see constantly throughout the New Testament the contrast between law and grace. Law and grace. The law was given. I don't have to personally hand you a present. I can send it through the mail. I can buy it online and have it sent to you. And that gift was given to you. But when Jesus Christ came, he came personally to deliver it to you. Moses was responsible for the giving of the law. And I think sometimes we confuse the reason for it. And we think that the law is some kind of a standard that we live by. I challenge you to look at scripture and find a verse that actually says that. You won't find it. But there was a reason. There was a reason for the law to be given. But that was only in order to expose the fact that we're sinners. And God had a plan down the road. And his plan was Jesus Christ. Knowing 
that we could not extricate ourselves from our condition of sin. God had a plan which involved grace. God's grace of God is unearned, unmerited favor to those who have done nothing to deserve it. If you think you've done something to deserve it, you're living in your own righteousness and it'll fail you every time. But grace and truth. On the one side, we have law. On the side of grace, we have truth. How much we need the truth of the gospel, the truth of what God has done through Christ to be proclaimed today. And it's not based on what you do to receive that. It's all based on what Jesus Christ has done. So because of the cross, God gives grace to the repentant sinner. The cross is the dividing mark between law and grace. God beforehand, before the world was founded, had already designed this, as I've been saying over and over and over again. And God looked to this point that the cross itself was going to be the dividing time between law and grace. Prior to law, there was no law. Until the law was given through Moses. And here's an interesting fact, just as I searched it, as anybody can search it. There are 21 references to grace in the Old Testament. 125 in the new. That tells you something just with the figures itself. Grace was not understood under the old covenant. Prior to the law being given, sin was still in the world. But God was not charging them with their sins because there was no law for them to break. But when the law came, Israel, and let me make that clear, the law was given to Israel, not to the Gentiles. And Paul says that in, the, in Corinthians, that the, the Gentiles who have no law, the law was given to Israel. And God was looking at his people Israel primarily when Jesus was sent. This was his chosen people. And he saw that they remained in bondage. They could not keep the law. And if you cannot keep the law, death is the result. God loves his people too much. He loves you and I too much to allow death to come into our souls. And he comes in with what is called grace. That there's nothing that I can do in order to receive God's grace. For a guilty, lost sinner. And he wants to present that to us in the person of Jesus Christ. He came into the world. God became man. Came into this world as a man. In order that we might enter into the grace that God had already planned before the foundation of the world. So the law is the opposite of grace. Some of these subjects that I'll be speaking on over the summertime 
are all interconnected. And it's uh, difficult for me to not go down rabbit trails because there's so many connections to these subjects. But this is one. As a contrast, in Romans 6, Paul writes, Sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law but under grace. If you want to live by law, you're not under grace. It's as simple as that. That's what Paul says. In fact, there's an illustration, I may use it again, comes to mind. If you look at the Ark of the Covenant, you've seen pictures of it, and you have the mercy seat on top, and you have the cherubim overlooking the mercy seat, and you have the box underneath in which were the Ten Commandments, Aaron's rod that budded, and the manna, the pot of manna. And I forget who it is, whether it's Peter or Paul, that writes that if you return to the law, you've fallen from grace. It's a visual in the Old Testament. The mercy seat is the throne of grace. If you want to revert to the law, you would have to take the mercy seat off. And inside was the law. It was under the mercy seat. What a horrible thing to think of. If God removed his mercy and we were responsible to the law and we cannot keep it, we're doomed to death. But no, the mercy seat stays in its place and the blood of Jesus once a year on the Day of Atonement, Israel celebrated the Day of Atonement and the blood was put once on the mercy seat and seven times in front of the mercy seat. All those years, We must remember that we have nothing and we have no grace apart from the blood of Christ. Impossible. This is something that makes it easy to remember. The law demands obedience. The law demands obedience. It says, do this. It demands obedience. But it's helpless to make us Keep the law. Impossible to keep the law. All it does is here's the standard. I mean, we have laws in our country today, and you see the signpost that says 80 kilometers an hour, and I want to go 90. The law says that. Can it make me keep the speed limit of 80? No. The law likewise is incapable of making us keep it, and we have broken it. But grace on the other hand, in contrast, supplies God's unmerited favor when we sin. No longer based on me and what I need to do and what I need to keep, but it's totally based on what God supplies for my every need. Initially, that's for our salvation. We're saved by grace through faith. Read this section from Romans 3. Apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and all are justified or made right with God freely. Not based on what we do. 
by his grace through the redemption that came through Jesus Christ. He paid that price of redemption with his own blood. Do we really realize the price that was paid so that the grace of God might come to us and we can receive salvation not based on what we've done, but based on what Jesus Christ has done? Does it really sink in? God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. What part do we play in it? Faith. We receive it by faith. It's not something tangible and I can hand you this and say, here's grace. It's believed by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, he had left sins committed beforehand unpunished. That was before the law. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time. What is his righteousness? He demonstrated it in his righteousness. Laid before us is the righteousness of Christ. He completed everything that God sent him to do. And he paid the price of our redemption so that we might be made righteous. So as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. So God's purpose in the death of Christ was not only that we might escape punishment. How wonderful that is. And we can have peace with God because we know that we know that we've been redeemed by Christ because we've put our faith and trust in him and realize that we're sinners in need of a savior. But he also did it so that we might become righteous. Undeserving, totally undeserving. What grace is that? We did nothing to deserve this. And yet God in his grace has granted it to us. So I've repeated this before. By grace you've been saved through faith. That is not of yourself. It is the gift of God. Not of works. Lest anyone should boast. You know one of the most difficult things I think we have in life. And in the Christian life. Is we begin to take credit. And as soon as we begin to give, take credit. That it's something that I have done, regardless of what that translates in our everyday life. We don't understand grace. Grace is for those that fail. So God saves us by his grace, therefore we must live by grace. <laughs> so what's it look like to live under law? The law having a shadow of the good things to come and not the very image of the things can never with these same sacrifices which they offer continually year by year make those who approach perfect. For then, would they not have ceased to be offered? For the worshippers once purified would have had no more consciousness of sins. But in those sacrifices, there's a reminder of sins every year. Long as the Old Testament sacrifices continue, there's a constant reminder of sin. Is that how you want to live? I don't want to live that way. When I was set free, nothing is going to bind me again. I'm not going to come under bondage to anything again. God set me free and he wants to set each and every one of us free 
from any guilt of any sin. For it is not possible that the blood of goats could take away sins. Israel sacrificed those offerings year after year, but there were many times in Israel's history when they never made any offerings at all. How does that apply to my life? How does that apply to your life? Are there times when you've forgotten altogether the cost of your redemption? The cost to God that he could then give you grace regardless of your condition and you could receive grace because we all fail. Or do we go and walk through this life as a Christian and there's no evidence of us being a Christian? I have witnessed that in those that have been close to me. And there have been times when I've questioned the fact, are they really saved or not? Because there's been no evidence of life. We've got to be, we have to come back to the cross. If the cross doesn't affect us and change our lives, what's going to? It was at that moment in time, in God's due time, that he sent Christ. It wasn't haphazard in time. The law had gone on. Uh, somebody can correct me. I'm thinking, Eileen, oh, 400 years? Two, eh? 430, 430 years. It had gone on that long. It hadn't made a change. In the due time, Christ came. Because the law couldn't change us. In the due time, Christ came to die for the ungodly. So the law can only expose our sins. It can never prevent us from sinning. Grace, though, is greater than law. By the trespass of the one, that is Adam, death reigned through the one, Adam. Much more surely will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in eternal life through the one, Jesus Christ. The law came in only to expand and increase the trespass, making it more apparent and exciting opposition. But where sin increased and abounded, grace, God's unmerited favor, has surpassed it and increased the more and superabounded. We're going to have a look at this later on in some messages. Because there is a confusion even among believers as to why the law was given. And this is one of the instances in which Paul says it was given to expand and increase the trespass. There are whole denominations that think you need to live by the law. I've spoken in them. People are kept under bondage because they have to keep the law. God never intended the believer to be in that kind of position. But he changed it all at the cross. That that was used at one time in Israel's history to convict them of sin 
God says, I have to remove that because grace and law cannot live together. Law brings death. Grace, the God's grace brings us life. So it came in only to expand and increase that, but where sin increased. Which sin increased. When the law was introduced, all it does is make sin increase. I want to do it. The law says, do not covet. I want to covet. That's what Paul says. If the law hadn't said that, I never would have known. But now that I realize the law says, you shall not covet, what do I want to do? I want to covet. That's what law does. I rebel against it. I don't like 80 kilometers an hour. In fact, we were driving through Texas one time. We'd gone out west through Arizona. We're coming through Texas and we're heading back up through the middle of the states. And my GPS wanted to take me in a certain direction. And I wanted to go through Dallas just to see what it was like. But the GPS was cutting across a corner. So I thought, oh, well, we'll just follow the GPS. I turned onto this four-lane highway. And we drove for eight hours. And without exaggeration, I don't think I saw more than 12 to 20 cars in eight hours on four-lane highway. You know what the speed limit was? In the States, not kilometers, 100 miles an hour. (laughs) I thought, this has made my day. (laughs) I did 100 miles an hour. I probably did more. (laughs) But there were no cars on the road. I just, 100 miles an hour, see? Even if it says 100, I want to do 105. And that's what the law does. It excites sin in us so that we want to commit more sin. But imagine, even where sin increased, grace itself has superseded that, surpassed it, and it increases the more, and it superabounds. Grace greater than all our sin. Does that mean that we want to sin? Hmm. This is a struggle we're going on with all the time. As long as we're in these bodies, this is the struggle we're going on with. And as a result, we have a tendency to revert back to law. It's easier to say, here's a list of things that I do, than it is to live by grace. And God has given us the liberty to live in His grace. And that's what's so exciting that I see here. That when people begin to live by the grace of God, and they begin to hear the Holy Spirit speaking, what's the possibility? God's heart is for every single person in this community. And he wants to put that same desire in each and every one of our hearts to reach this community with the gospel so that no one should perish. Has God laid that on your heart? If he hasn't, perhaps you don't understand the grace of God. It says, forgive one another, even as God also in Christ Jesus has forgiven you. How much do we realize we've been forgiven? The person who thinks they've never done anything wrong 
has not the faintest idea of what the grace of God is. The grace of God is for those of us that fail. And I'm going to hazard a guess but I don't think there's anybody here that hasn't failed. And God says, don't give up. Your life is not ruined because you did this or that or the next thing. You failed in this area. Yeah, that's your weakness. What's your weakness? We all have a weakness and a tendency towards sin. Don't forget that. Don't start pointing fingers. What we need to point people to is the grace of God. No matter what we've done, God's grace superabounds. So that just as sin reigned in death, so grace, God's unmerited and undeserved favor, might reign also through righteousness, which is a right standing with God, resulting in eternal life. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Grace reigns in us when God makes us right with himself. Which results in his life being seen through us. When we realize that we've been saved by grace. And the very life of God has been imparted to us when we believed. That life is to be seen by others. And it will be seen by others. They will either say, see Dave, the old Dave, what I used to be like, or they're going to see Christ. One or the other, there's nothing in between. But if I'm living by grace, and the Holy Spirit is indwelling me, and I'm living my life in the good of that grace, others will see and be attracted by it. That's what they saw when they saw Jesus. The centurions were sent to have a look to check him out, and they came back reporting, never a man spoke like this man. The words of grace that proceeded out of his mouth. Never a man spake like this man. They had never witnessed it. They were still under law. Even although they were centurions of the Roman army. So who qualifies? If you think you don't qualify for the grace of God, this is what Titus writes. The grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. This grace of God is available to all men. Paul in the Acts says that the gospel is the grace of God. That is the gospel message. It's the grace of God and it's for all men. So what do we need to do to receive God's grace? To him who works, the wages are not counted as grace but as debt. But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, not the righteous, the ungodly. His faith is accounted for righteousness. I reworded this. This is just Dave speaking here. So don't put it in your Bibles, all right? Go by the verses in your Bible. If we are saved from the punishment of sin by God's grace, then it's not based on what we have done to earn it. 
If we had to earn it, then His grace would not be a free gift. Wages is something you work for. God's grace is something you didn't work for. God in His grace gave you His grace so that you might live the Christian life. There's no other way to live the Christian life but living under the grace of God. <laughs> oh. I guess I'm the only one you see the clock. Don't look at your phones. <laughs> I would like to just... Okay. Before I go to this, this is something that just struck me this morning. So I typed it out, and I'll have to just kind of read it briefly. And it was to look at the difference between law and grace. Law, the Ten Commandments cannot prevent us from sinning. We've already mentioned that. If you want to live by the Ten Commandments, they're impossible to help you or prevent you from sinning. If they had been important, the Jerusalem Council that was, you'll read of in Acts chapter 15, after Paul comes back and some of the Pharisees says you need to be circumcised and you need to keep the law of Moses, and they got together, okay, what are we going to do for the Gentile believers? If it had been important, they would have put the Ten Commandments in there, but they didn't. They didn't. You can read that in Acts 15. So the commandments can do nothing to help us. So the sacrificial animals, they could never take away sin. Both of those counts under the law have failed us. If we want to go that route, we're not going to get to the point where we have peace with God and our sins are forgiven. But here's the thing. Even although the law could not change us, could not change anyone, why grace then? Why did God introduce grace? The reason is that even when we have come to Christ for salvation and received the forgiveness of our sins, received the Holy Spirit, we're still left in these bodies of sin, that are prone to sin, that are tempted to sin. Therefore, God has given us his grace. We can call on the grace of God when we fail and say, God, I'm sorry, I've done it again and I've done it again and I've done it again and I keep doing it again. But his grace is sufficient. His grace superabounds my sins. That's how great the grace of God is. But the cross is where we need to come to. Because the cross is for the breaking of the outward man. We have an outward man and we have an inward man. As believers, we have this outward man that needs to come to the cross. And until we come to the cross and are crucified with Christ, we're strutting around in who I used to be before I was saved. 
But I put on all the signs as if I'm a believer in Christ. But I have my own agenda. I'm not relying on the Holy Spirit to guide me in my life. This is the greatest bane to the Christian life. We must be broken by God. I've mentioned to some of you that when I was six, there was no question of the fact that my sins were forgiven. I knew that I knew that I knew. But it took 30 years after that before God put me through difficult times. So difficult that it finally dawned on me. Dave needs to be broken. If I'm not broken, what's inside will never come out. God has put His Holy Spirit in us and He wants it to shine out into this world. But if I'm walking around in my own self-importance, that that is inside that God is looking to see come out in demonstration to the world will never come out. We need to be broken. You see, we are just jars of clay, as I mentioned a few weeks ago. And God has made a wonderful vessel and he's put the Holy Spirit in us. But that jar of clay needs to be broken. We need to be broken before God can begin to use us. Otherwise, the Holy Spirit will not be able to work through us in power because we're so full of self. That's all people will see. Our lives must change. I have to do this. Um, I was thinking I could forward this into next week's message, but let me just cover this very briefly. The greatest illustration that we have in the New Testament, in the Gospels, and remember, the time of the Gospels was still under the Old Covenant. We don't get the New Covenant until the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. But during that time of the Gospels, we have that story of the woman taken in adultery. And when they brought her to Jesus, they said, the law of Moses says she should be stoned. And they were doing this to test him, to see what he would say. And Jesus, as if he never even heard them, stooped down. And he wrote in the sand. Then he stood up. Which one of you has never sinned? They would have looked at each other. And it was the old ones that went out first. But Jesus stooped down again. And he rode in the ground again. And when he stood up, they had all left. And the woman was there alone. And he says to her, where are your accusers? Don't know. You're gone. Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. 
That's not possible under the Old Covenant. Not possible. Jesus was foreseeing the cross. And when he stooped down and he stood up and he says, go and sin no more. Even we believers think that's impossible. It's not impossible. Because that which is born of God cannot sin. There are two stoops. That section in Philippians chapter 2, I'm going to read it very briefly, just, just the, the portions that I want to look at. In Ephesians chapter 2 that begins with, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. And he was there in his heavenly glory. And it says, Jesus taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. He was born of a woman, born under law, so that he might redeem those that are under the law. That was his first stoop he wrote in the ground. Not only that, but if you begin to read the account of when the law was given, the first tables of stone, it says, was written by the hand of God, and they were engraved. Those stones were engraved. Have you ever tried to erase an, an engraving? If you go to the cemetery, you don't have some power tools, lots of luck. All right? Had Moses not thrown those tables down, the whole of Israel would have been dead. They'd have come under judgment. Moses threw them down. Even at that point, 3,000 had died. You can't take away an engraving. And those men saw the first tables of stone and they looked at each other. We're dead men. Unless we get out of here. That law is unbending. And we're destined for death. Jesus stooped a second time. This time were the new tables of stone. God instructed Moses, go and get another table, set of tables of stone like the first. And God was going to write on them and you don't see any reference to them being engraved. These were written by the hand of God. And here was God coming back for the first time after having departed from Israel. And God wrote in the sand in the presence of these men and that woman. And he wrote the first cables of stone. And they knew they were dead men unless they went. He stooped down and he wrote again. And you know, the law has stood between the Jew and the Gentile. The Jew prided themselves in having the covenants and the law. And that divided Jew and Gentile. But what Jesus did was he took and erased the handwriting and ordinances that stood out against him, us, and he nailed it to his cross. Everything that was written in those laws, he completed. He fulfilled them to the fullest extent. And this woman came under the benefit, she became a beneficiary of the second tables of stone. That God now comes out to us in grace and he offers us salvation. What an amazing God we have. 
I cannot begin to explain to you what the grace of God really is. Newton had it right. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound. We can all be living under the grace of God and when we do, we have a vibrant Christian life. 